0: Are you a true motorsports enthusiast seeking premium safety equipment? Do you need expert advice to make the right choice? Look no further. Go to ogracing.com. Og, the ultimate destination for high-quality motorsports gear. OG stocks Dad, it's, og. it's not og. OG stocks products from the largest manufacturers including Sparco, OMP, Alpine Stars and much more. OG Racing is offering oh. it, It's OG is offering an exclusive 15% to our listeners. Use code SLIPANGLE15 at OGRacing.com during checkout. It's OG, Emma. You'll get free standard shipping on orders over $100. Don't miss out. Visit OGRacing.com and use SLIPANGLE15 at checkout. That's Um, OGRacing.com and SLIPANGLE15 at checkout. For years, Slipangle and Apex Pro have worked together to help make drivers
1: faster. The all-new Apex Pro mobile app for iOS and Android is now available on the App Store and Google Play Store. Download the new app for free, create a user account to log as many laps as you'd like using your phone as the GPS source. Apex Pro is the app for timing your laps and logging your data at the track. With video recording and intuitive analysis features, plus the ability to easily share and compare data, Apex Pro is the best way to learn about your driving trackside. Apex Pro includes leaderboards so you can see where you stack up against other users, and Apex Pro lets you see other drivers on track in real time with the Crew View feature. Upload your data easily to FireLapse to compare with drivers using other data devices. Download for iOS and Android today by searching Apex Pro
0: New. Hey Adam! Hey, Abe. Hey, Austin. Hi. Austin Cabot. Man, been oh, a while, What's dude. going on? It's we, been uh, so we're, long. We're, we're we're in our first four-way. <laughs> that's, that's
1: what she said. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I had to get uh, that one out of the Adam, way. it's called a 4G. A okay. 4G. <laughs> so cool. It says,
0: add somebody else and we'll get a 5G going. Yeah, and this is the first time that I've actually recorded with the board, so I don't sound like I'm on a cell phone, I guess, but... I don't
1: know. I'm sure I sound horrible. I am using my new AirPods though. So you,
0: you sound fine. And we also have our, our buddy Ferris on, who's freshly back from Japan. Hey guys. Dude. So like I, I don't know how you're doing
1: this. No, <laughs> so, things are things are pretty regular in Ferris's life. I thought we could introduce the show by talking a little bit about airline miles. And uh, I know that's the topic everyone's really dying to hear about. Oh man,
0: yeah. What's your credit card for us? Let's talk about points.
2: (laughs) I actually have uh, two different American Airlines credit cards, and I rack up points alone just on daily purchases. And then they actually have—I hate to sound like an American Airlines spokesperson, you know, for the brand—but they have like a good like app for purchasing. And so, like any daily purchase, if you do it through the app, it also accumulates miles. So I might have like. Three hundred and something thousand miles right now.
1: Are you are you allowed to pay one card with the other card?
2: No, you're not. So Uh, so like, so anytime I go to an event and I book a hotel, I book it through their website. And like, let's just say Holiday Inn. I'm gonna stay at the Holiday Inn anyway, and just because I use their website, they gave me like fifteen thousand miles or something. So like, it's it's like I just I use all of their tools to kind of just rack up miles and like right now i'm i'm executive platinum which is like the highest what? on the list yeah i know nice. so i get like free upgrades to first class i flew to and from um uh tokyo every single trip uh first class it was business dude class. yeah that's incredible <laughs> yeah and I, then like i feel like they, you
0: need to
1: like you need to slap american Airlines stickers on the side of the car
2: i do i well i just was like <laughs> being smart about my daily purchases pretty much, but then they like automatically upgrade me. Um, if there's like a first class seat open. So like my layover flights from Dallas to LA, were all first class also. Like I just bought like basic, ba- uh, fair, fair, economy. And then like every single time I got upgraded to first, you Man, got that, Rockstar. that Admirals nice.
1: club lounge though, don't you?
2: Admirals <laughs> club. L- yeah. <laughs> <Dang>. they- <laughs> Dude, I got it all. So, so yeah. pretty, I pretty was nuts.
1: right before we started recording, I had said that, I'm in Louisville and I don't obviously have nearly as many miles, but my job requires me to travel for work now. And one of the things that I'm frustrated by, because I also travel for good life, is it seems like I can't have any preference for any particular airline. And my total life miles are distributed across American, United and Delta because well, I just like I have to take the flight option that's available. I think I took maybe a dozen flights last year, and they were just split across all of them. And so I am always going to be a nobody because I can't accumulate with anyone. Nobody, nobody. <laughs> Abe out of, out of Louisville, Abe, you need to use just pack yourself in a UPS box. You can get anywhere direct. Yeah, you Abu Dhabi. <laughs> would not even believe how many flights land uh, in Louisville. It's oh, there's so many, crazy. There's so many. They're just. They're just full of packages, though. My um my office, the the place that I work, is basically along the flight path of the the runway, and it means that some very very large airplanes are just like cruising along super slow right before they uh, they land in Louisville. So,
0: I saw some forty seven there the other day. Speaking of nice packages,
1: how big of a box do you have to use to pack up a Corvette?
0: yeah <laughs> what's the shipping thing like so you for listeners who don't know who ferris is ferris has shipped his car to australia and now japan what do, so, you, do? Wait, do you do wait wait wait.
1: hold on it went did it go straight from australia to japan or did it come to the states first
2: no it went straight from australia to japan It was actually a really good deal to do it that way and i'll probably do it again uh this year as well but um pretty much you you pack it in a container and you ship it over like on a container ship. Um,
0: did you so, buy the container or how does this work?
2: So like originally the way it went down was Cole Palaston organized it all. And, um, he wanted to bring a certain amount of cars to, to uh, world time attack. Right. And, um, so I was in that group. And so we had like a limited space that each car could bring X amount of, you know, cubic inches or whatever inside the container. So it was one 40 foot container split up by three cars and, uh, two was two were on the ground. One was in the air. Um, and so whatever space we had remaining was then divvied up by three. So I only was able to bring two sets of tires to world time attack, which like I will for it'll forever haunt me of not having enough tires. Cause I, I used the first set during practice day one Jeez. and then I had the next sticker set to last me. For the entire remaining of the remainder of the event, and so by the end of the event, both stickers were corded. Front tires were both corded on both sets. So like I was juggling back and forth of which which tire was less corded to run to try to oh like that last. So anyway, so that was a shipping issue. Um,
0: what do you and, run tire wise, by the way? I'm just curious. Uh, Not Michelin
2: there. Michelin tire is like is the, but you know,
0: is that like a off the shelf slick for something or?
2: Uh, yeah, it's just the S8. It's nothing special, okay. but um, in Japan, I actually had to run the Hoosier A7 because it's a DOT deal, and they told me I could run the Michelin. My time just wouldn't count, and I was like, well, no, 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 no. I'm I'm going for times to count, <laughs> so I had to run a DOT, and luckily when I was in uh, Australia, I already spoke with Michelin, or, uh, Hoosier Japan. Uh, they were there as one of the, uh, the Dream Arc 7 team, and I already knew I was going there, so I kind of tried to set that up there and um, there were an awesome group of people, which we'll get into later, but the shipping itself. So shipping from, from Australia to Japan uh, through world time attack, they linked me up with one of the teams that came from Japan and it was only $1,800 to go from Australia to Japan. And it wasn't because it was an added shipping cost. It was just for the lift system to be moved into that container. So really all I had to do was just paid for them to install a lift in the container and I got a ride to Japan.
1: That's wild. It's That's very cheap. Yes. cheap. Yeah. So I, I think I remember, um, on an Instagram story a while back when you got to Sydney or maybe it was to Japan, you would open the container and like, um, there was some salt or debris or something like on the car. What's, uh, if, if if that memory is right, what is like how does that work? What was it? And what do you what do you do?
2: Yeah, so like the whole thing was they sent us the the this like packing like statistics, not statistics, like orders, right? You had to do this, this, and that. And then it was a mandatory thing to um, sanitize the car. And they said steam clean every single part steam clean the car and i'm like
0: how do yo, you check yo. that too <laughs> like how, how do they <laughs> even like, know
2: well even so i was like y'all know how dirty like this car is like it's it goes through races it, i just had a huge off uh, in testing like i i've been a very long time since i've gone like four off but i went four off so bad and it was just like covered in dirt and crap so anyway they wanted it steam clean and the whole thing was it was going to oakland because um, Long Beach, there was like a holdup with X Ring and whatever was going on in Long Beach, so we had to take it to Oakland. And so I steam cleaned it, and then even when we dropped it off at Oakland, we like made sure it was spotless. And the thing arrives, and it is so bad. It had bird crap all over it. Um, it literally looked like it sat outside for a week before they decided to actually load it. Yeah. And um I was like well good thing they didn't care about it being clean because oh, the
1: whole I thought bad. that you like loaded up the container you're saying no you dropped it off and and someone else moved it into the container when it was time appropriate
0: Dude that's terrifying yes.
1: that sucks
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and it wasn't just my car it was all it was of the Supra dude Turk's car was just as bad you know yeah. and like Turk's car is clean like we Oh yeah
0: that car we, The car's perfect it's like brand yeah. new yeah
2: Dude when I and I was, I was like why in the world did they Tell us to do all this stuff when the shipping con- uh, container company themselves said it was going to be expertly packed and that we couldn't load it ourselves. So that's why we, you know, left it in their care, and they just like let it sit outside in Oakland for how long? I have no idea until it got loaded up. Did
0: uh, did the Formula Super leave at the same time from the same place?
2: Yeah, yeah. We all, we shared a container.
0: Okay, what uh, like was there any damage to the cars or not? Because those are like two pretty delicate cars.
2: Uh, so it was, it was my car, the Supra, and then, um, the, uh, swap, uh, Ferrari. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, Mike, uh, Mike Burrows. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mike's car. So, um, my car, when I, when we dropped it off, they asked, can we remove the splitter? And I said, no, it's very difficult. Please don't remove it. And they're like, well, we want to pick it up with a forklift. I was like, fuck <laughs> <the> fuck, <laughs> no. don't you dare. <laughs> Why would you even, and I can understand why, because like the container's so, and it's a 40 foot container. So th- instead of trying to push it and someone to be in there and trying to like, you know, handle the steering, it's just easier to pick it up with forks and just bring it in and, you know, nice and straight down the middle. But, uh, I was like, no, it'll get damaged. There's like panels underneath it, whatever. So anyway, they ended up ripping the splitter off, uh, regardless. And they did it in the worst way. Like my splitter comes off really easy. There's six bolts that holds it to the chassis. And um I think there's another twenty that hold the carbon to like this inner structure. And they decided to go the opposite way and take all twenty off. They took the oil cooler off, they took the bumper off, and they left me with like half the bolts that I needed. So oh <laughs> once it got to Sydney, not only was it all torn apart, but I had to it was go. torn apart wrong. It. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: that's that's almost it's so bad it's almost unbelievable
2: yeah it sucked i mean it sucked to get there and then to see it because i know what condition i dropped the car off in and then when i when i arrive and the splitter's up against the container and then my car's just chilling like that with the splitter off the bumper off and the the oil cooler was just dangling and i actually ended up um (laughs) yeah dude ended up having a leak and uh we were just kind of trying to Managed the leak, the entire event in Australia. And then it when I got to dangled for
0: 15,000 miles.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when I got to Japan, I, I mean, I, I had no way of fixing the, this oil cooler. So I got like an O-ring. And I, I tried to like get the O-ring to get sandwiched into a bolt where that it would have enough pressure to keep the oil from constantly flowing out. Um, and it, it, it did. It actually worked for, for the whole life that it was in Japan. So,
1: Jeez, what a nightmare. So... Oh. Uh, I'm not going to like ask you to throw shade on any shipping company, but what is that conversation like? Like, Hey guys, you, you kind of really screwed up this once in a lifetime trip in my one of one race car. Can you like help me out a little, please?
2: Yeah. It, it didn't, it didn't go over well. (laughs) Let's just say that they didn't care. It was what it was.
0: Yeah. What would you do differently as far as packing and stuff uh, in the future? Pack it myself. Like yeah. I, yeah, just insist so like, on doing that.
2: Yeah, this go-around. Um, no, when it left Australia, uh, I left it in the hands of uh Shane, who is now one of my buddies. He actually does drifting and um he, he ships cars all over. And so he I left it in his care and he did an amazing job. Um his crew uh I, I met them there and they helped unpack the containers and get it through customs and uh and then like in packing. So shane and his crew will be handling my shipping coming out of japan now and um like he he's been great he actually he he housed my car for two weeks in japan when i got there and then not only did he do that but he also he sourced uh transportation um he actually got me a uh, like another like temporary housing spot for it um at tcp magic um as well and so like it, this was cool that like all these people that i never knew that like i met briefly like i met uh you know tcp and i met shane just at world time attack um were then on the other side of the world handling my car for me uh yeah. shane had to go to the port and to the um, inspections in japan wouldn't release my car they said that uh the scan showed that there was way more parts uh, in the container than what I had on my Carnet. So they wanted someone to go and open every single thing up and label it for them. And Shane, not knowing me, just like that one time I met him, went there to the port and opened the container, took my car out, took the three totes that I had, and uh, all my spare parts, took every single thing out, put it in a bag, labeled it. And like, just, just because a, they wouldn't release the car. And then B, it was just like, well, either Ferris is going to be shit out of luck, or right. I'm going to go help this guy out, and you know he helped me out, so it was it was super cool. So he he will be in charge of shipping my car from now on, and I uh, have full trust in him.
0: The racing community just delivers sometimes, man. That's sick. Yeah,
2: it's cool. It's uh, it's kind of been a blessing for me, and kind of like my whole quote unquote racing career, because I don't really know very many people that you know we'll just straight up like help you all like that. And it, I feel like every time I, I go do something really big like this, um, a lot of people are just willing to help. And I, I couldn't have done a lot of things that I have been doing lately without all their help. And it's, it's something that I'll never really, uh, quite understand of like, you know, this is a competitor coming to race against us, but yet we're going to help him out as, as best we can. And to, for someone to do that and, you know, for multiple people to do that, it's just, it's a crazy, uh, it's crazy. Well, that's kind of an interesting
1: point, in my opinion, because even as recently as 2023, you would come to GridLife events completely solo with no yeah, all support. All by himself. open and trailer. You're kind of the person doing this, that, and everything. And, uh, I, I think I've said to Adam multiple times that that's at this point, it's to your detriment because you can't it's hard to focus on being a driver and studying up and doing all of those things when you're also trying to torque every bolt and do everything between every session to make sure that you get the opportunity to go out and set a lap.
2: Yeah. And I agree. It's been very, very difficult. And what people don't also see is just like the maintenance time and the setup time before the event. Um, you know, I'm in the garage every single night until about midnight. Uh, the weeks that I don't have my kids, when I do have my kids, I dedicate that time with them but that just really all it does is just build up the garage time so like yeah. if i have a month uh before now and the next event and i have to prep my car that really means i have to prep the car in two weeks time uh and so it's like everything every timeline that there is there, out there it gets cut in half for me which like it's my kids I, I i've dedicated my life like when i have them it's it's for them um but it just makes it very difficult for me. And uh, like, it's, it's a lot of work. So the garage time is is rough. Um, You know, the the timelines are are very difficult for me. And anytime before an event, yeah, like, when I I don't have my kids, I maybe get like, five hours a night of sleep, because I'm in the garage until midnight, 2am, whatever it may be, and then come home and then wake up early, go to my actual job for a little bit. And then Go,
1: go back. (laughs) So Adam, uh, Ferris, I think this video clip preceded you, but you may have seen it. Uh, when the gears and gasoline guys were doing video recap coverage of grid life events, they did an interview with James Houghton while we were at our, one of our events at Road Atlanta. And in the introduction of the video, he talked about his life and, and what it takes to compete in time attack at a really high level. And the interview is excellent. It's only like 30 seconds long, but Adam and I talk about it a lot. And kind of the, the famous quote for the, the, the clip is I go to work and I time attack. There's, there's nothing else. Am yeah. I obsessed? Yeah, probably. I don't mean to be, but you have to be.
2: Yeah. 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 No, I remember, I remember the clip. I remember the video. Uh, and it's, it's, it's as true and accurate as it can be. Like I've, I've even uh, stopped going to work. Like I, I won't go to work if I have a big event coming up and I have things that have to get done in the car. My car playing, is priority. Yeah, It is <laughs> important
1: to say on the show that racing is not your actual job. So I'm curious, how do you manage, like multiple 12-hour flights to Japan
2: yeah. and so,
1: trying to work a job somehow. It seems impossible. So
2: racing has become almost a main source of income for me at the moment. Um, so it's easy for me to put that as, as priority, as like number one for me at the moment um, versus going to my job. Uh, the job that I do have is uh, I manage a granite company and it happens to be uh, my father's company. So he has multiple locations and I handled the Dallas location. Uh, with that being said, I'm pretty sure I can still get fired regardless. So like me <laughs> skipping work and, and the, the only thing that's in my benefit is that um, he knows that, you know, uh, the, the income that I'm getting from, from racing is, you know, surpass what he's paying me. Um, and so he, he sees that as like, okay, well, this is something that you kind of have to do, um, to make that end happy. And, uh, also like sales are good. So like, I'm sure if if sales were bad in in the business, I'm going to get heat. And and so at the moment sales are good and the business is being taken care of. So the the three hours a day or whatever I spend there, um, is, is seems to be like he's happy with right now. Uh, but dad's
0: also a bit of a car guy, right?
2: He used to be. Yeah. Now, now he, he like he's into cars, but he's not into racing like he used to be. And so when I spend too much time into racing, he I get it in your full and he always <laughs> tells me I'm wasting my money and this, this and that.
1: No, it it that's that is true. You're absolutely you're wasting your money. Racing is a Definitely. horrible use of money, but it's cool. Well it's well cool.
0: you're in that weird like there ain't a lot of amateur racers who are paying some of their bills with racing. So like got to ride that wave a little bit too.
2: Yeah, no, it's, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, at what, at what point A, does this end? Um, and and B like, what, how long can you do this for if it did end and you had to, to use your own, you know, source of income to, to float it. Cause Mm -hmm. you know, like, like everybody has said, this is extremely expensive and to compete at this level. And now we're, going, you know, different countries and, and, that's just multiple trips. Like not just one trip to Japan. We did three trips to Japan. So it's just like, it's just so much. And there's and so all much first in- class, yeah.
0: by the way. Yeah, well, yeah, all fancy. First class. <laughs> I
2: was, I was <laughs> thanks to American airlines. So if American ever hears this, thank you guys for supporting me. <laughs> miles upgrades. great. So,
1: I, I mean, I kind of watched your, your Instagram stories as you were going to, um, Sakuba, this year. And I'm interested. You only show kind of a tiny portion of what happens leading up to and, and the event, right? Like an Instagram reel, or even a story is short. There mm-hmm. are, I'm sure are many, many hours in preparation and in tuning and doing all of these things to make sure that the minutes, however many minutes you get on track are productive. So like, can you walk us through what you did in preparation for that first trip to Japan and maybe, maybe what you learned in Sydney and how it informed what you could do with that first opportunity.
2: Yeah. So after running at Sydney, I knew I just left so much on the table and it's very hard to go to another country or go to any track period that you've ever been to and expect to do extremely, extremely well. Luckily here in the U.S. I've had many attempts at all these tracks that, that I go to. I've been running with y'all for years. I've ran with a lot of other organizations. So when we go to places like Road Atlanta, uh, for instance, it's not my first time going there. So I already know the track. I, I know my pace, and I know where I can find the time. So it's easier for me to have success in the U.S. Now, when we go to another country, uh, it's your first time running those laps, and you're you're up against people who have You know, this experience like if someone came and tried to run against me at Road Atlanta. So you try to get the experience in, but you never get it. You'll never have that actual on-track experience in hours and days and years that these other competitors have had. And so uh, being at World Time Attack for the first time, that showed me how far behind I actually was and that if I ever tried to go to somewhere that I that was Oh, you know, out of this country, um, it would be very difficult to have great results. So what I planned for in Japan was multiple trips right off the bat. I knew I wasn't going to go there and expect to do extremely well at scuba for the first time when competitors have been running there for 20 years, 10 to 20 years. Like, it's it's not expected, um, and it just it wouldn't happen. So when I first went, um, after the car got shipped, I kind of had to just – A, I kind of had to hold back a little bit at World Time Attack because I knew I was already dedicating sending the car to Japan. So I knew if I hurt the car in Australia, I would just be doing 10 times the amount of work in Japan because I didn't go with a spare engine. I didn't go with a spare trans, no spare diff. I went with a very light spare package, uh, spare parts package. So I try to keep the engine alive. I try to not break certain parts of the car if possible. Um, but I still did anyway, so it just, it, it was what it was, but, um, so I kind of had to be a little bit tame in Australia so that when I get to Japan, I didn't have all this work ahead of me. Um, so what I did was I, I, I ran my SIM. Maybe I have like a couple hundred hours on the SIM now, uh, to run, uh, or at SCUBA. And, uh, when I got there, um, like, although it's, it was very difficult to try to document everything, um and work on the car. I had a lot of maintenance to do. I had a big off in Australia, and there was no X98 in Japan, so I had to retune the car to E85. Uh, the transmission lever uh, itself, that went from the shifter to the, like, the actual linkage, that had broke, and I didn't know that was that had broke. Um, I knew that my sh- it was very getting very difficult to shift towards the end of the event in, in Sydney. And um I knew something was wrong. So the first thing I did was was drop the drive line <laughs> on the floor and under suzuki shop <laughs> and uh found out you know the linkage was broke. So um I you know, luckily he got that welded up for me from somebody that he knew and there was just maintenance to do on the car in general. Um once I got to the track, I already knew that the car was gonna be set up too stiff because I set the car up for really high downforce, high speed track and scuba is the complete opposite. So I already knew I was going to be going with lighter rates and, and changing the sway bar up a bit. And so I ended up uh, bringing six different rates with me as well. And, uh, yeah, just had to kind of run laps and, and you know, retune the car on the dyno. Um, once I got the first couple sessions in, um, I. Obviously, found out TC wasn't working, so that was something else that I had to kind of go through again. Uh, But it was really just, you know, trying to dial in a car that was set up for a completely different style track uh, to to a new track, and and that was really the the biggest thing. After that, I was just learning the track, and um, it it took a lot of time, you know. And and you're doing it on the
0: other side of the world with minimal tools in a place you've never been with people you barely know
2: yeah and people can no speak, speak your language you know it's like right. it's, you're trying how, how did
0: you meet uh, under suzuki by the way
2: man so like he under, seems
0: like he's a rad dude for taking care of you that's awesome
2: dude he's super rad and uh like the amount of work he did for me is like is crazy like so when i was going back and forth with Garrett, Garrett Motion was who set all this up for me to go to Australia and then go, go from Australia to Japan. So they hooked me up uh, with GCG Turbo Japan, and GCG Turbo Japan. Um, what I was talking to them about storing the car, and they're like, "You know what? It'd be best if you just stored it with Under Suzuki." And I'm like, "Well, a I don't know Under Suzuki. I've never met the guy. <laughs> I never spoke with him before." Uh, and B, he's a freaking legend. So, like, I'm not going to be like, hey, will you store my car, please? Like, the yeah. first time I ever beat the guy.
0: Under Suzuki is a person, not a location <laughs> under an economy car. <laughs> yes.
2: <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> so, at the time, I was actually talking to Samit. Uh, and, you know, he's he, a good dude.
0: I've talked to him several times. He's a uh, SEMA and PRI. He seems like yeah. a really good dude.
2: No, he's super good people, and he was willing to, you know, take my car in uh, from Shane and store it for me. And he has some lifts, but at the moment he was just really busy. He was doing like a thing with uh, Adam LZ, and uh, he had some cars he was shipping around. And then, like every single time uh, we would talk about dates, he had something, you know, happening. So when when the whole under Suzuki thing came up, I was like, well, shoot, I really don't have another option. Um, Hannah Burton had mentioned one of her friends as well. And so I was like trying to find any lifeline I could that in, in, in Japan, you know, somebody that I knew that could help me out. Um, and, and how so, far
0: in advance are you planning all this stuff in Japan?
2: Uh, <laughs> I tried to plan it far in advance, but it all ended up coming down to the like, last minute. Uh, so like on not-
0: your way to Australia, you didn't have plans or how, how last minute?
2: Yeah, on my way to Australia, I didn't have plans of where the car was going to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good grief, dude! And, and even even when we shipped it to Japan uh, with Shane, he said, who, "Who am I delivering the car to?" And I told him, "I don't, I don't know." And he's like, "Oh, all right, we'll house it for a little bit till we figure it out." So I didn't really have anywhere for the car to go until the car was actually in Japan uh, for about a month, and then that's this is when, stressing me out. So yeah, <laughs> no, imagine me, imagine me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, GCG set it up. GCG Turbos in Japan, they um, they set up an email between myself, Under Suzuki, and them introducing us and at the same time saying, can you store Ferris' car? And so I was like, holy crap. So my first email reply was like, Under is an absolute, you know, amazing to, to meet you. I'm sorry we're meeting up these, these circumstances, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he was like, yeah, no problem. Where am I picking it up from? I'm like, holy shit. So he literally just answered the call. It was it was crazy, but um, yeah. So GCG brought it up from Kobe, uh, where the car was, which was like six hours away, uh, and then uh, I went to D1GP Tokyo for a display. Uh, and while I was there, the there was a crazy storm, and the tent that was over the car collapsed, and literally sat there. All night and just messed the car up so bad. It's like it's never been a beauty queen, but it is so scratched up now. And just like
0: beaten into the carbon Kevlar and the Lexan and all that.
2: Yeah. I mean, all the carbon Kevlar panels were brand new. The Lexan was brand new, but like it got so messed up. Everything got scratched (laughs) up. The front driver's fender is like collapsing on itself. It barely holds its own weight up at this point. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it, it, it got really bad. And um, no insurance no insurance would cover it because it was a weather incident. So the event insurance wouldn't cover it. GCG's insurance wouldn't cover it. Uh, and then my shipping insurance wouldn't cover it. So, yeah, so I got a pretty messed up car.
1: <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll ask maybe a, a follow-up or a related question. The Tsukuba is um, a much lower speed track, it looks like, compared to some of the places you run Coda being the place that's, that's top of mind for me. That's coming up here soon. Um, I remember a few years ago you were running at Coda and at high speeds, your car would oscillate in a manner that was both terrifying and approaching catastrophic. I think,
0: um,
1: when, when your car was running at that high speed, what did you identify as the source of that problem? And then what did you do to fix it? like, because obviously Sydney's much faster, right?
2: Yeah. So like, um, I've gone through growing pains as a car builder, you know, and not too many people are are at the the level of downforce that we are, are, are producing. And, um, nobody's really doing it by themselves, right? Like somebody has someone that they can phone a friend or, or help out engineering wise or, or something. And so, Um, I, I just kind of learn as I go and and try different things. And, um, what I did find out was that it was just not, the car was not able to hold itself up. And no matter how much spring rate I threw at it, it wouldn't hold itself up. And so at, at that moment, um, I didn't have the rates that I have now. And so I got together with, uh, Eibach USA, and they have a, bump spring setup. Okay. Uh, and so what we ended up going with was a three thousand pound bump spring. And that three thousand pound bump spring, I able I was able to pack her up until it would keep the car off the ground. I and see. so pretty much I was always using bump rubbers. Right. And there was no rubber that was enough to keep it from just sandwiching the rubber and then just being on the ground. No matter how I like, like nine
0: years ago, Austin and I toured the IBOC facility and Mark showed us bump stop springs. And he's like, yeah, yeah, these are for a few crazy people. I don't even know who uses these.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Mark's the one who suggest he's like, Let's try these springs. And right. at first we did twelve uh fifteen hundred pounds didn't work. Uh two thousand pounds didn't work. Three thousand pounds was the, the number. So we have uh, our main spring rate is 2,200 pounds. And then, which also sounds insane for a Corvette being like <laughs> it was like 0. 0.7 in a motion ratio. So, like uh, at the moment before that, I was running 1,000 pounds. I went to 1,200, 1,400. We're like, no, we're just going to throw a massive rate at this thing. And so right. we, we went a huge jump up. And so, 2,200 pounds with a with a 3,000 pound bump spring was the, the secret sauce to keeping this thing off the ground. So, how? Yeah, because,
0: go ahead, Adam. Like, like, your your oscillation effectively was your your front wing slash splitter would bottom out and then lose the ability to have downforce because there was no air flowing underneath of it. And then mm-hmm. the car would pop up, and that was happening, like, what, 20 times a second?
2: It was insane. Yeah. Dude, the
0: video looks like it happened 100 times a second. It yeah. it
1: looks like the car was going to shake itself to pieces. Yeah, it looked like it straight. was in a blender.
0: And, Dude, it, and it like, I'll,
1: like... I'm going to be honest... I, uh, it says a lot about you as a person, and not all of it is good that you stayed in it on the back straight <laughs> of Koda. Because like I that. wouldn't have done that. No
0: way. No, never.
2: Uh, I don't. I have this. I have something wrong with me where it's just like I. I'd have to. I have to run a lap. Like I have to do it no matter what symptoms are going on in the car. I have to make it through a lap, and it's been a good thing and a bad thing. Like for some reason, it's worked out. But like at Road America the thing ran out of water. I, I pushed all the water out of it. I like remember years back, but I saw that I was on a record lap and I'm like, we're going to run the car. I don't care what happens to this engine. <laughs> so like the same thing with, with like in the moment when this is happening, I'm seeing the car freaking out. I'm feeling it. I'm like, Holy crap. I think this, this thing's going to break on me. But yet I didn't have any times and I had to put something down and yeah, it just, it is what it is.
1: <laughs> so then now as you're at speed, I think you're, you're, your top speed is relatively low because of your gear ratios, but when you're at speed is, is it basically like the cars all effectively bottomed out and you're just cruising on that bump spring?
0: Is that pretty much? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Our maximum per hour is, uh, it, it varies with like the drag at the moment. Uh, but 190 is, is, what the car can do it's like geared to you. and i see a lot like 186 187 is like That's
1: isn't that higher than it used to be? I thought you used to be in like the 160 to 170 range.
2: It's tire dependent. Oh, um really? yeah, tire dependent is what we'll do it and but since we've gone to a 28 inch tall tire that's been our 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 way of bringing all power up. Uh also um we in sixth gear we ring out RPM to eight thousand, sometimes eighty three hundred just depends on on what the car will do and, and that will equate to mile per hour as well. So uh, which over the years has been a lot to develop with you know, getting an engine that will make twelve hundred horsepower and have the ability to continue to pull mile per hour at eight thousand RPM and not blow itself up. So
0: yeah, pretty nuts, dude. That's pretty heavy yeah (laughs) the car seems mechanically pretty reliable right now
2: dude so like i've gone through a lot of growing pains you know like we I, i think i've gone through like four or five engines now uh it's not it's not cheap to do but every time we 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 hurt something we learn and at this point now we've learned what what it would take to keep an engine alive at at these you know these levels of of running 1300 horsepower for two minutes straight. Right. We're not drag racing with this. Right. We're, 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 killing the thing. And so uh, it just took time to figure out what it, what it wanted and you know, what would allow the thing to live. And uh, so yeah, you guys and-
0: playing with like raw, like, like piston sizing and ring gaps and like what's the uh, versus drag racing. What is the change for like a 1300 or 2000 horsepower drag car versus a 1300 horsepower time attack car?
2: Um, it, I, I don't really know exactly. I'm sure everything's as far as like drag racing wise, it's all lighter. Like they're right. all, they're, it's all minimal, um, uh, like, I don't know, weights and whatever's going yeah, on. I love them.
0: Rods and knife edged cranks. And yeah. All stuff.
2: So we just went heavy duty with everything on the bottom end. Um, and then it was all the top end stuff that was always killing us. It was always us trying to lift heads or not being able to control, uh, a cylinder pressure. Uh, so we ended up going with top fuel hoops, and so that's like a that's more than a fire ring. It's a groove in in both the cylinder head and wow. the receiving group groove in the block, um, and so that was something that we did on the last go around on, on these engines uh, before we were using like a, a fire ring before that, and then before the firing it was and all ring, but it wasn't, it wasn't cut. It was a cut ring, but it what didn't have a groove in the cylinder head. Um, but they weren't having any of these issues with, you know, cars making 1500 horsepower, but those cars that were making the 1500 horsepower using these gaskets were running it for a couple of minutes at a time, uh, multiple times a day. And so it right. was just learning, you know, it was really just trying to control cylinder pressure and, um, you know, when you have that detonation is involved and then, then that's when you melt the piston or something else happens and along the line. So it's like, you know, let's control one of these things. And, and it was just what, what the obvious was, was the cylinder pressure was getting out of control. So now that we're able to control that, I mean, this engine has been in the car uh, since road Atlanta last year. It's pretty, uh, that's, with GTA. That's pretty long. Yeah. So we ran, we ran GTA Um, and then, you know, we went to Gingerman, we ran Gingerman, uh, and then we went to Australia, we ran Australia. And then this whole time we've been in Japan and we're not taking it easy on this thing. Um, you know, I grabbed for the first time ever in Australia, I grabbed 1300 horsepower on the button. I've always had it scrambled, uh, programmed and I've never used it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, uh, so,
0: so like what what were you running what's what's the pre 1300 horsepower like level so like 100
2: yeah i never i never run the car over a thousand i always like to know that no matter what i was able to set this record and i still had x on the table yeah right? you got like,
0: headroom still yeah.
2: yeah and so that's what i like to do and that's i like to i, like, I don't want to always focus on the horsepower. I want to focus on like a thousand horsepower which is a lot, don't get me wrong. But like I wanna know that I had more and I wanna know that I can come back and I can beat it. Or if somebody were to step up and take that record away from me, I had more on the table that I can come back and, <laughs> and use. It's just like something it's a strategy of mine. I don't Still I shouldn't wild. be saying this. <laughs> but, no, I think everybody
0: yeah. everybody who's talked to you knows this. Like we're like everybody's like, Oh, it's got two thousand horsepower. I'm like it's probably running at seven fifty.
1: Going yeah going to different countries obviously the fuel that you're getting to run at different events is likely a little different than what you're used to running you know unless you're taking all of that fuel with you but i would
0: be surprised yeah, you said you before. had to retune in japan right
2: in japan in australia vp racing was able to take care of me on the x98 that i, I currently run okay um okay. i run x98 from vp and they have vp australia so they had a VP of Japan, did not have the X-98, and so it wasn't able to be imported. So I had to switch to the E85 for, for, Austra- or for Japan. However, when I went to Australia, um, I've already had this issue of the car sitting for too long and injectors clog, and then I melt oh, yeah. the engine. So the very first thing I did is change injectors, go to the dyno, make sure everything's good. And so, um, you know, that, that was part of the, the process there. That was part of the process in, in Japan. Um, I actually cleaned injectors three different times in Japan and, uh, everything <laughs> was <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, but yeah, so the first time ever I grabbed 1300 horsepower on a button and holy crap, did I, it <laughs> did it? like open my eyes to how much more is on the table, uh, in this car. Cause to go from a thousand to 1300, is is like
0: i mean that's a that's a 30 increase dude that's a lot it,
2: it's like when you watched fast and furious and and brian o'connor grabs an off button and everything's <laughs> yeah. fucking going warp speed it's like that like it's such a big <laughs> jump um and so that was such a drastic uh eye-opener for me not only in in car feeling because you get used to driving a car with whatever horsepower it's at and you know a thousand horsepower to me now is just like Okay, let's go already. Like, what is what's what's taking this car so long to get to the straight? <laughs> and so when I grabbed thirteen hundred, I was like, holy crap! Like, there is so much power. But then it also confirmed that the car would live at that horsepower range. Like, we can run this car for a lap because then we went back and looked at data, and then I ch- tested it again, and then we went back and looked at data, and I'm like, okay, it's happy. Like, we're not seeing knock. We're not running out of fuel. We're, we're not seeing crazy intake air temps, um, but we're seeing massive deltas in time. So, like, it was just testing. Um, I grabbed it because I made a massive mistake, and uh, I knew I was running out of tire. I knew that I didn't have the time that I wanted. So I was like, let's just see what this will do. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it's something that I know that we can do now, and then I've tested this as well in Japan. Now that we 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 went there, I I did everything I did was on a thousand, at least what I think was a thousand because the the difference in fueling. I never did any high boost runs uh, in Japan, so I don't know exactly what the car makes uh, at thirteen pounds of boost. I don't know what oh I know it makes at twelve pounds of boost. I don't know what it makes at fifteen pounds of boost. I don't know what it makes at eighteen pounds of boost. So what I ended up doing was uh, once I got to the third spot and i was like you are solidified as number three
0: the third overall ever yeah not not third of the weekend
2: no not third
0: of the weekend. Yeah, but who's p1 and
2: p2 uh p1 P, p1 is fire ando and the escort evo and uh, p2 is the legendary under suzuki mm-hmm. and then you have
0: me. <laughs> <P3>. <laughs> and it's like a 49-something versus a 51-something, right?
2: Yeah, 49.8 is what uh, the Escort Evo ran. ran. Um, 50.3 is what Suzuki ran. And uh, 51.2 was my final number. That's
0: uh, wild. Well, first time there. First time. Yeah. So, well,
2: the
1: third time there. <laughs> to my frustration, consistently, you do post videos, but they never have data overlaid on them. And when I see the car, I mean, this, this track is very small, obviously, and a lot of the corners are really, really low speed, but I don't have any basis for comparison. So like, uh, are, are these like 50 mile per hour corners or are they more than that? Like, uh, provide a little context because compared to the straights, they look painfully slow.
0: The yeah. track kind of looks a little bit like M1 concourse that we did some speed ring stuff at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, it it's definitely has okay. that vibe and, uh, the straights I think are greater. You have more mile per hour on, uh, at suit, uh, uh, scuba.
0: Yeah. It looks real one
2: Um, but yeah, none of the turns are fast. Um, turn one is, they're all very, very, very painful and they're very long. Um, and there's, they're late apex. Um, but yet you have to shut it down early. It's, it's such a weird track to drive. I know it looks super straightforward, and it drives different on the sim than in real life. Um, and, you know, luckily I had under Suzuki coaching me through this all and, and telling me, like, his, his clipping points and how early I was. And, you know, stay off throttle, even if you're not on brake. just be patient. Um, there were so many key factors into running a fast lap there that I never would have figured out by myself. Um, but yes, the, the corners are slow. Turn one min speed is like 47 miles an hour, wow. uh, but it's not just 47 miles an hour for a split second, it's a very long time. Uh, and it's the key there too is not letting it drop like it, you're off throttle and you're no longer on brake. And if you get on throttle, then you're going to push out and be too early. Um, so you yeah, just kind of so that's, that's
1: kind of what I was looking at when I was watching the video. There's a lot of times where I think if you were driving a car that maybe had lower power, it might be easier to maintain speed. But when you watch and you listen to your video clips, it sounds like you're rolling or coasting through. And yep. Yep. maybe that, like, I don't know if that's what's happening, but and I don't know if that's what you want, but it, it seems like the, the pedal in some cases is a little bit like an on-off switch for you.
2: Yeah, so, so like if, you want, if I want to walk you ter- through turn one, we're entering turn one at like 136 miles an hour. And then you have a, a, a mid 40 mile an hour minimum speed that you want to turn at, at apex at, right? So there, there's a very fine line of too much speed and not enough speed through this corner. And so trail braking becomes very important. Um, now in, in almost any car, if you watch the Escort Evo, if you watch under Suzuki's car, they will not touch throttle until they're out of the corner. Like the car is almost completely straight. If you watch, uh, uh, Escort Evo's 49 second run, this guy does not touch the throttle pedal until his Evo is 100% straight. And so he's off throttle for so long. And so what we're trying to do is let You you want to scrub speed, but still maintain just a little bit of brake for as long as you can. And my car had a very hard time doing this because the rear end was always trying to come around me Uh, under braking. So I was having an off throttle um, on brake oversteer, and it was always on turn in, and so it was very difficult to to get happy. And it ended up just and what ended up working for me was. That's a very small gurney flap and lowering the rear ride height. Um, and so I went with a large gurney flap. It killed my mile per hour on the big end. So I went with a smaller gurney flap, and then I just kept lowering the rear Wait, uh, no, ride okay. height of the car. I,
1: I need you to add context to everything. So a large gurney <laughs> flap killed your mile an hour. What was the difference between a large flap and the small flap?
2: Uh, Six, six mile an hour. Wow. Jeez, that's a lot. Well, it's a very small straight, right? And we're trying to make up as whatever we can in, in horsepower, right? We're trying to make up on the straightaway because we can't get these through these corners like these smaller cars can. And they're all will drive. So it's like it's it's just so tough for a Corvette to do these things. Um and so I try to make my car with the limited suspension tuning experience and engineering that I have, uh, <laughs> to to get to work around that that place. And I ended up going with a 400-pound spring rate split front to rear to get the car to rotate. Um, and without it, the car was just plowing every corner. And so I just kept going up and right in the rear and down and right in the front. And I got it to a point where the car really does rotate well. Um, but because of that, it, it had difficult trail braking at high speed. And so I was always combating the rear of the car, Uh, into turn one and was always turn one and you know at one point i got up to 100 and 150 miles an hour coming into turn one and they were like ferris you are insane nobody is breaking as late as you like how are you doing this uh and it was pretty cool to see is like when when a group of legends that have been running this track forever come up to you and tell you you are the absolute latest breaker into turn one they've ever seen it was just like yes i did something right Uh, but it also hurt me because it was having to woe the car down at a high rate and, and try to keep it from, from kind of coming around and it, it was tough. So a lot of things that I learned was, you know, them just telling me, it doesn't matter what, what your mind thinks like, okay, I shouldn't be off throttle and not on brake, or I shouldn't be off brake and not on throttle, get the car through the corner. That is the most important thing around scuba is getting through that corner no matter how you get through it, the second you lose grip, the second you lose the front of the car, the second you lose the rear of the car, you you've lost your whole time. Uh, it's a 50 second lap. Like you can't let any any little bit of grip go because the second it's gone, your whole lap's gone. I see. So it's I know it sounds interesting and it's not doesn't sound like the right thing to do when you're driving a car, but any time I, I try to be off off brake but on throttle and never have a coasting point i was always slow uh, um i was always slower i was always pushing uh, it was always a mess or i was too early um until finally i just said just just do it and see how it works and that was a, the first time that like a light bulb clicked in my head was like oh crap this is how you drive this track is just rolling the speed
1: so how, how I just, much time do you think you left on the table just since it was your first time there?
2: Oh, so like at the very at the very end, the very last lap I ran, uh, well, let me, let me put it like this. The morning sessions, and this sounds so crazy, the morning sessions are the fastest sessions you can have. The morning sessions in time attack weather is 30 degrees. 30 degrees is what is ideal temperature to run your fastest lap around Scuba. So 9 a.m., is is go time and being the very first group on track so i was since i was always running the fastest times i was always the first person on track at 9 a.m when the track opens up
0: 30 degrees fahrenheit
2: 30 degrees fahrenheit oh my gosh yeah crazy (laughs) cold weather like i was so
0: do you run antifreeze in the car
2: no no but i I was literally shivering and i'm like how am i supposed to drive this car (laughs) Like how this,
0: are you supposed like, to get tire heat in that
1: thing? Now, yeah. is that is that something that like under Suzuki and like people had told you that that was like ideal for that track?
2: Yeah, every single okay. one, every person. Okay. and oh. I I had a hard time believing it. What's and up with like, the
0: asphalt that that's the case? Like that's nuts.
2: Well, ten o'clock comes around and it's forty five, fifty degrees, and your your times are down. You're a half second slower, and I'm like, dude, I know I drove better. And he's like, you, and under it was so funny. He was like as you drive later in the day you drive really really good but yet your times are slow but in the morning you drive like crap and yet you have your fastest time and i'm like yes he's like yeah that's just how it is I'm like that's, that's just sense. so i mean it's
0: abnormally the time, cold too like oh, they, they, dude, need, they need to
1: have an event that starts at like 1 a.m and you run your last <laughs> your last session well, at 9
0: a.m well like uh
2: three o'clock came around and i was one second off my own time and i'm like mm-hmm. how like, I'm running the same boost. I'm doing everything better. I'm not driving. Like, how is it? And it's just the track is going away, and it's, it's what it is what it is. So the time that I left out there when I ran my final laps at 10 a.m., which already is a half-second time delta, um, I was up in sector one by 0. 0.4. So I was four-tenths up in sector one.
1: So wait, hold uh, on. I'm looking at a track map now. Where is the end of sector one? What, what's the right- corner?
2: Right before Dunlop Bridge.
1: What? Well, what's the corner number?
2: Uh, so it'd be like turn one, turn two. I guess like Dunlop to the right is turn three.
1: Oh, uh, maybe three or four, something like that. Cool. Yeah, like that counting, are section.
2: they counting the Are S- the kink, Yeah, the kinks counting as turns
1: in this track? that yeah, they like are. It.
2: Okay, so then it would be uh, turn one, turn two, turn three, turn four, turn five. Okay, would be to the right. Yeah, so that so right before turn five, from so so from start to turn to to before turn five is sector one. So in sector one, I was up four tenths of my fifty-one-two. In sector two, as I rounded that corner and I I I start to take ADR, which is to the left. Uh, I had a misshift and. Uh, I lost uh, back down to zero, so all my all my time that I had gained went back to zero. Oh, and then, uh, as I rounded that next hairpin onto the front straight or the back straight, I was back up another three tenths. Um, and so that's where your your final sector ends before the final turn, or sector two ends before the fi- final turn. Um, and so that's when I said, okay. I know I'm on a lap. This is already going to be in the 50s somewhere. Let's grab the scramble button. And so when I grabbed the scramble button, we we overboosted, and it boost cut, and then it dropped, and I watched all that time go away in a straight line. Uh, I'm driving in a straight line, and I'm looking down at my timer, and it went from 0.4 up to 0.3, 0.2, 0.1, zero. Plus one. I'm like, oh
0: no, no, like, Monica. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so
2: I get to the final corner, and I'm like, whatever, dude. Just make it up somehow. Yeah, dude. You know, Menage. Yeah, <laughs> Nage gone. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we round the final corner. <clears and throat> we came through, and it was still a 51 two. 51 two point three was the that that time. So it's slightly slightly better, 51 two, but. Um, we, in general, we were up seven tenths uh, throughout the lap.
0: Yeah, you, you got some heat left.
2: Yeah, so I believe we can do a 49 second lap um, just with based off that data alone, showing how I was up, not being able to get that extra time delta from when I rounded out that final back um, hairpin on the back straight. If I was already up, I was down point or I was up point four, Then I went back to zero. Then I came back up 0.3 and then I'm on the back straight and I lost it all. Well, as I was up 0.3 up, it just would have kept going up. Like I would have been continuing to accelerate at that rate. And so therefore that could have been an extra, you know, half second at the end of that, that straightaway, who knows. Um, But we have time. And I think that with, with another trip or two, um, I'm pretty sure we can get to that 49 and, and hold down number one.
1: So, I mean, I don't expect that you are losing time to the number one and number two times in between 11 and one. So if you look at that infield section of the track, where are the shorter wheelbase cars? Like, are there particular corners where they're just eating your lunch or is it just like, uh, a million tiny cuts throughout that infield portion of the track.
2: Um, so if we really had to break it down uh, since, since scuba doesn't break it down like that, they only break it into three uh, it's it's corner exits. Um, the escort Evo is, is able to exit at a crazy rate the way this thing, this car puts power down the way it leaves the corner. It is, it is insane. Also the thing's freaking fast. It, it put <laughs> it. So I, the entire trip I was there, um, I was able to hit 250 kilometers an hour. Uh, Escort Evo hit 253. So Jeez. it's making power. And not, it's, out, it's out kilometering an hour of me down, down a straight. And I'm sure it's, it's happening toward, down every straight. Um, it's just not on the back straight. So, The uh, expectation Dino. is that
1: it just comes from that exit being so good.
2: Yeah. The exit and then the power, whatever it's making. I mean, I'm, there's no way that that car is not making a thousand, eleven hundred horsepower. It's making power. Um, I've seen a lot of cars that I've raced against and I've, I've looked at, you know, horsepower versus mile per hour, uh, deltas. And I can confidently say if a car is out mile powering me in that sort of a distance, it's, it's due to something.
0: That's a Uh, real fast car.
2: Yeah. It's real fast. And, um, it, it's definitely moving. The other thing, too, after watching, after my first trip uh, and watching his in-car, I, I knew that my gearing wasn't right. And I actually swapped my my uh, ring and pinion to a 390 versus mm-hmm. a 342 that I had. Um, so Is that, that an
0: easy swap? Do you have to pull a trans?
2: um i had to pull the diff i was able to separate it so like i had no lift so i had to do this on the floor so it was kind of a little bit difficult with the way a corvette is
0: <laughs> like a person, person. like the hardest cars to work on wise. Yeah,
2: yeah 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 so i ended up pulling the diff bringing it getting the ring and pinion out swapping it but that helped uh, that got me uh, more mile an hour it got me through the corners right. or out of the corners faster um it it made me shift a lot. That's for sure. I thought I was already shifting like crazy through, through a lot, but that pretty much doubled all my shift points. So
0: for, uh, for listeners who, who aren't super familiar with your car, do you want to give a, like a, a brief rundown of that car and, and maybe of your new backup creation that you have going on?
2: Yeah. So, um, my car is a 2008 Corvette z 6 Uh, it's, as, as it's a, as much as a corvette as as it was when it left the lot i promise you <laughs> it just has a little couple things done to it it's mainly bolt-on stuff since it's an aluminum chassis but it still runs all the factory subframes factory chassis uh factory pickup points factory control arms like it it, it is very much a corvette um it just it looks like it's not uh but it's a 1300 horsepower um uh, you know, LS7, twin-turbo, uh, it's got massive brakes on it from Alcon. It has Bosch Motorsport ABS, has Motec M1, uh, and just really big, big aero. And it's very light, actually.
1: So a couple questions. Uh, it's very light. When when you last had it on the scales, how light is it with the driver?
2: Um. The driver varies, depends on the month and what I'm eating. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't, (laughs) without the driver, it's 2640.
1: That's pretty light.
2: It's pretty light considering it's caged, has two turbos, all the intercooler stuff, a trophy truck radiator, maybe 200 pounds worth of aero. Yeah.
1: So, um... I think this now is basically ancient history, but one of the things that I really admired about that car when you went from NA to turbocharged was the kit. I think you had worked with Alex Pites uh, on, and the kit was a little bit non-conventional in that you you used, like, log-style manifolds from something as a way to position the turbos in the place that you wanted so that they were serviceable, but also... So that that component in particular was reliable and having had turbo cars in the past, in my life, uh, like fabricated manifolds are cool looking, but they break a lot. And if they break a lot, you're not getting as much track time as, uh, you might need if you want to go fast. So like talk a little bit about maybe the, the philosophy for why you chose the, the parts you did or like, how you knew something was the right option for you?
2: Yeah. So, um, at the time I was working with Alex, he was tuning the car and my, uh, one of his workers, and is now a good friend of mine, um, Adam. And, uh, so Adam and I pretty much built the turbo kit together. Uh, and I, I chose where I wanted the turbo placement just because of, of ease of working on it. I knew how much I was working on the car when it was NA alone and I didn't want to stuff turbos, Inside the engine bay, and, and just make it you know a compounding factor of heat and just complexity of, of working on a car. So I chose to put them out there. Um, Adam and I, uh, he welded all the, the the turbo components up, and I fit the tubes. Um, and then the whole idea of the factory manifold was that it was a cast manifold, so it it would hold up a lot more to the heat and and not crack and break as easily as these aftermarket manifolds. Um, but what we didn't anticipate was that it was a two bolt flange and that with all the heat that we were creating, that these factory gaskets would not hold, uh, for very long. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what ended up being the downfall to that. That idea was, um, although it worked for quite some time. When it did fail, it failed in the worst way, and it just it shot fire out and almost melted the car down.
1: So so, so it sounds like you're using something different now. What's the setup like today?
2: Yeah, so now it's the same setup. Uh, I just remade the hot side a little bit. I mean, over the years, it's, it's just kind of deformed itself from all the heat. Um, but I ended up going with a off-the-shelf um, uh, Holly Shorty header for a Corvette, and it was for an LS3, so it puts it puts the uh, the exhaust exit exactly in the same position. And I just cut the factory two bolt flange off, and I welded a V band flange on, um, and still have that same uh, like single exhaust pipe coming from the shorty header. And that gives me clearance and, and allowance to get to the starter. To keeps everything away from like knock sensors and oral lines and stuff like that. Versus like having a long tube, a bunch of, you know, tubes coming down that area to one big collector, which then makes life really difficult and makes heat, everything really close to all the heat. So um, that was the idea behind it. Also, the turbos being at a behind the wheel, um, kind of bringing that weight back uh, as well. And then low for center of gravity as well, keeping weight low. Um, That's kind of the the whole recipe for the, the turbo setup.
0: Yeah, it's so sinister too.
2: Yeah, it's easy to work on. Uh, honestly, that's, like, the biggest factor is the heat and the ease of working on it. It looks cool. It makes cool sounds. And, you know, having two turbos is definitely better than not having any, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: the, the backup car, like your current project that we see sometimes, what's the story with that one?
2: So that car uh, belonged to Todd Rumpke. And Todd Rumpke, he raced an Optima Ultimate Streetcar. Uh, Danny pop drove the car as well. Danny pop actually won ultimate street car with that car. Um, and they were very, very, very good friends. Um, unfortunately I never got to meet Todd, um, when I was running in, in Optima uh, and Todd ended up passing away from cancer. So, um, I knew of the car cause as I was coming around into Optima, um, that was kind of what was happening. And, um, and, uh, they, they ended up selling the car, um, and all of his friends signed it. And uh, it was very emotional, uh, I think, on, on, on Danny's side and all of his friends and family involved with all this, uh, since this car was covered in signatures from front to rear bumper. And the messages and everything left behind for Todd, it um, was just very, very touching. And, and it was just cool to see the, the community, um, you know, honor their friend. Uh, unfortunately, the car, once it was purchased, it was crashed and rolled. Uh, oh, and geez. so it kind of just sat uh, uh, in the fields of G Speed, actually, here in Texas uh, for the past five years. And so when I saw the car, um, I knew, well, I knew I needed a second car. I, I knew that, you know, this might become a thing where I'm always going to have a car out of the country. Because I have a really bad addiction to once I do well at something, I like to continue to do it. Um, and I, I'm like, I can't always miss out on all these cool events that are happening in the US. So I had to have a second car. And so I wanted, you know, people always ask me if you were to do it over again, how would you do it? And I, my answer is always, you know, it would be with a car that had no value, it would just be a, a, a crashed car. Um, and so I hit up Lewis at G-Speed and I was like, do you have any cars that, you know, Z06 chassis that, you know, you'd be willing to sell me. And, uh, he said, I got a couple, just, you know, come by and and see what, see what we got and you can, you know, pick what you want. And so he had, he had two different cars that were Z06s. Uh, one of them had a pretty bad ding, uh, in the actual frame itself. And then there was this one. And I was staring at the car, and I'm like, dude, I feel like I know this car. And I saw the the little bit left of the wrap on the bottom of the uh, the rocker, and I knew exactly whose car it was. And I was like, I will take this car. So, um, you know, I, he's like, you know, whose car that is. And I said, yes, I do. And he's like, okay, well, uh, I know you'll do the car justice. Like, you know, just you know, do what you do what you're going to do with it, and please, you know, tell tell the story. And so, you know, with Lewis's blessing. I got the car and, you know, just kind of rebuilt it and it was pretty bad. I mean, it you guys saw like the condition it was in when I got it uh, and how, you know, it, yeah, it, so, yeah,
0: <laughs>
2: it was literally just a bare tub and it was destroyed. Uh, there was no working components. There was no engine, no line, no suspension, um, nothing. And uh, so it was very easy to strip down. And then I had to straighten the frame a bit and just go to town. So I've been building this second car, and uh, it's pretty much a, a replica of my car, but done a lot better. My car has been built over the past six years in multiple stages. Um, a lot of different holes in the chassis from different things I've tried or different aero or mounts or whatever it may have been. Um, so it's not really, my current car right now isn't really the nicest build. So this is just, you know, ground up. I already know what I'm going to do. I know the direction I'm going in and another recipe that makes my car fast. So I get to translate it over to this new car, um, and do it in a lot cleaner fashion and, and manner. So, um, it's, yeah, it's pretty much going to be the replica. We're going to use, utilize nitrous on this car as well. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to have nitrous. We're going to have uh boost obviously. And, uh, we're also going to be playing with a little bit of meth. So we're, <laughs> we I got, got all the drugs in this one. You thing. are from Texas. so <laughs>
1: Your so,
0: teeth are so nice right now. Dude.
1: Earlier in the show, you said having turbos is a lot better than not having turbos. I, I think Eric Fleming's uh, Corvette is one of the most awesome builds that runs in your oh, life. It sounds so it good. It does undying. sound so awesome. So we can argue about turbos, but we will not argue about nitrous. Cars with nitrous are better than cars that don't have nitrous. Yeah, yeah.
2: No. And plus, well, if I go to world time attack, I have to add ballast. And I'm like, well, if I have to add ballast, it might as well be usable ballast. You know, I, I added 350 pounds to the car and it was just in so lead. Wait, uh, and, and
1: I'm not a world time attack rules expert. I, that's, that's the other side of the world for me. So like, I don't, I don't actually pay attention. Um, what class does the car compete in and what makes that class? What are the details about that class? Why you would have to add ballast?
2: So it's in pro-am because I'm not a pro-driver. Um, Pro-drivers, you have to have an FIA license of some sort or you are hired to drive. You, you are being hired to drive somebody else's car. You're, you're, somebody's paying you to drive their car. So that right. would be like the classification of how a, a pro-driver would be classified as, as you know, licensing or you know, payments. So since I'm neither, I, I go into pro-am. And so they have the same rules. So pro and and Pro uh, have the same rule set. And pretty much the reason why I have to have ballast in the car is because I'm already set up with the gearing that I have. I already have a 1-to-1-6 gear. And unfortunately, there's only three gear sets or three final drives and ring and pinions I can choose for the Corvette. Uh, And it's a 411, a 390, and a 342. And so because of that is that's all my options that I have. I have to utilize the rear tire and RPM for mile per hour. And so their rule set is if you run a certain tire, like anything under, it was like a a 368.18, there is no weight penalty. But if you go with a 7.10 taller tire, so if you go from 26 inches to 28 inches of a rear tire, you have to add weight, and so the weight that you have to have a minimum weight of 2978. Wow, and, be, and because my car is was 2640, I had to add a bunch of weight to it. So,
1: so that's that's 29 something without driver,
2: yeah, without uh, driver. Oh man, yeah, yeah, so it's
0: wild ass rule. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was their first rule of, or their first year of adding this slick tire. So they were yeah. trying to make it even and fair for everybody, um, and keep it safe. But, you know, uh, for me, it really sucked because, you know, that's, that's how I made mile per hour. Um, right. I, I utilize one, one, six gear for acceleration ratio. And if I had a taller final drive, I would definitely put it in there. There's just nothing available for a Corvette and it's, like either I go and I drop another twenty grand on another transmission, or I add weight. And so that's that's where I went was the the weight. So when I when I came back and I was like, okay, well if we do this again, you're obviously not going to dr- drop another twenty grand on a transmission. What's the plan? And I was like, well, we might as well make it usable weight. And so for me, usable weight is two nitrous bottles filled with nitrous and <laughs> get <laughs> as much power in that thing.
0: Interesting. So, yeah, what a crazy freaking year you've had. This is so. This is so much.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, we did. We did some really cool stuff. You know, I mean, we went. We went to Superlap Battle in the beginning of the year, and uh, we had issues, but we still managed to reset the record. So that was cool. And then after that, we went to Road Atlanta, and we uh, really didn't have any issues, but we reset the record. So that was cool. We went to Gingerman. Uh, we reset the record and had a great freaking time at Midwest Fest uh, and I've been after that record for three years so that was that was really cool and then we went to Australia uh, became the first American to ever win at World Time Attack Challenge uh, so that was freaking cool then we went to Japan and you know did what we did there, first American to win, number three ever so like I, I can honestly say that you know twenty twenty three and and the beginning of twenty four has been probably the the best uh year calendar year or running twelve months that I think i've ever ever had well, and Ra- like
1: with with this much to talk about in the last twelve months, it's almost a shame to ask, but I will anyway like it's just now the start of twenty twenty four what what are you trying to do this year yeah now
0: what brief. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, so 2024, uh, I have a lot of different ideas of what what I want to do and where I want to go. Um, I don't like to leave somewhere and not give my absolute best. Um, if I ever go to a track or something and, and I didn't perform as, as well as I wanted to, um, I make sure I go back and, and try to do better. So uh, for me, um, I have a lot going on here. I, I just started drifting and I'm going to do some cool stuff in, in Drift, and a lot of that's going to be happening at, at Grid Life. So I'll be around in the, the Drift Corvette now and doing some, some stuff with that. Um, I'll have two Time Attack cars now. So I plan on sending one Time Attack car back to Australia to compete uh, over there again, defend my title.
1: Is it coming it, to the States first? Or is it uh, going yeah. from Japan just back to Australia?
2: No, it's coming here first. Um, that, that car needs some love it's been through a lot and it's had zero maintenance in the past 6 months so if I want to be successful um i have to rebuild that car again so
1: when is it expected to arrive in the shop
2: um i don't know yet we have we haven't, we haven't scheduled that the with the whole thing going on overseas um shipping prices went up really like almost by another two to three thousand dollars to get it back, so it's looking like seven grand to get the car just one wow. way back right now. So um, I'm gonna just kind of wait for a little bit and see what happens, and maybe if I can find someone to split a container with or something like that. But um, so in the meantime, I'll I'll continue to build the the second car. Um, the I second hope the right
1: second now. car hasn't seen any track time yet, has it?
2: No, no, it's very close to being done. I'm just waiting on ABS and some wiring, some small fabrication work. Um, I'm hoping to knock this out in the next couple of weeks and compete at Superlap, but uh, I think the ABS would be the holdup. If I don't get that ABS in time, there's no way that the car would make it. So um, but... So
1: if it's if it's gonna be a replica, you're you basically have a second set of you know big front wing and um, rear wing and stuff already being made.
2: Um so I don't know exactly the aero that will end up living on the car. I have an experiment that I'm going to run on the car cuz I feel like certain tracks um high downforce big aero benefits cars and I feel like other tracks it doesn't.
1: I I believe you. So a while yeah, back, time. and I realize this is a, is a different concept. But a while back, we had Jeff Brown on the show, and he was talking about setting up indie cars to run uh, Indianapolis. And yeah. the as as a as a as an engineer or like the chief engineer for the team, what they were trying to do was dial out downforce like as much as they possibly could stand before the driver was like, "No, I just can't drive this because yeah. every amount of downforce they had made the car." a little bit slower in top mile an hour.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I I feel the same way. I feel like there's certain tracks that you're like, yes, I want it. And there's others that you're like, well, I could use less. And you you see it in the data. And especially me when I have data from when I used to run the car with, you know, a light arrow package, medium arrow package, heavy. So like, I, I know what data is looking like on all these. And if I look at time Delta from a to B, I'm getting murdered by myself in a medium downforce package versus a high downforce package from point A to point B. Um, and so when I see that, I'm like, well, there's only one way to really find out, and that's to go back. Mm-hmm. And it sucks to, to go into one direction for so long and has very success you know, in, in that direction. Um, but if I never try, I'll never know. And I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to run the GT 1000 rear wing on the car. And I have this world challenge front splitter that I'm going to run and world challenge cars made a bunch of downforce, no matter how simple and light arrow they look, um, it's still made a lot of downforce. And although I'm maybe double at this point, I I don't think it's entirely always needed. Um, and especially if the driver's not utilizing it, If, if I'm not getting every ounce out of that car in every corner, all I'm doing is hurting myself everywhere else. So I think it, it would be a good test to see. Uh, and I know in acceleration and in a straight line that, you know, it, it's, it's definitely a benefit to have. That's the reason why F1 has DRS. That's the reason why so many, you know, other series run different, different ways of, they have different ways of creating downforce. Like it's under, time the DRS, the Dude. Dude. DRS, why not? Right? Let's get it. <laughs> it's a little bit more difficult than than, than we think. You can just yeah. wire
0: it into the NOS button; it'll work at the same time.
2: Well, in theory, the NOS button is DRS,
0: right? right. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs>
1: so so uh, you're you're talking about maybe being ready for Coda. Um, then what?
2: Um. So I'm going to try to run as many tracks here in the U.S. again. I I, like, last year I was gone for so long. I missed so many cool events. I missed Laguna. I missed... Laguna was a pretty cool
0: event. Laguna oh, was man. the coolest time I've ever I'm, done. Like, <laughs> I'm already
2: hating my life. Like, I am I was trying to find a way so bad to get to Laguna. I think I hit up Chris. I hit up Swan. I hit up both of you guys. I hit up everyone, like, well, fuck it. If I can't get my, my Thomas hat car, let me get my drift car there. I was, like, trying every ounce of me was trying to get into
0: Laguna. Event.
2: Oh, dude. So there's just I miss there's so many cool events going on in the U S that I have to do something here so I can't just keep focusing going out of the country. So
1: we're doing we're doing a festival at Road America.
2: I trust me, it's on it's on my list. I have I have a whole list written down of all the events that I want to go to. So I just I missed too many cool ones last year and I don't want to do that again. So um, I'm gonna do as much as I can in the U S. Continue to, to to drive here and just. Be behind the wheel because without being, when I'm not behind the wheel, I'm, I'm not doing myself any good. So it's, I'm taking some steps backwards when I don't have my car for months at a time. So I'll be running here. I'll be running in Australia. I'll go back to Japan. And then there's two other countries that uh, I'm trying to figure out a way to get to. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know if it'll be this year or if it'll be next year, but we have a couple countries that. I think we're going to go to as well to see where we stack up and try to make some waves in, you know, in another country.
1: I don't, I don't know about where the time attack records are in other countries. So when we're not recording, I'll probably have to ask you
0: about that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't mind sharing it. It's not, I'm, I'm an open book. So let's we'll, we'll just throw it out there. We're, uh,
0: Germany looking at, and England?
2: we're looking at going to the UK. Mm -hmm. um that's that's an idea that's we've been talking back and forth uh are you gonna go
0: gonna go climb the hill at goodwood
2: goodwood has has been tossed around yeah that would be sick yeah it's been tossed around um i'm trying to find a way to to make that happen uh i'm trying to get to the ring i really want to run there and uh just other tracks in general in germany and spa would be freaking sick if i could make my way over there would
1: be sick yeah
2: Yeah, so there's, I've taken a lot of input from I've asked this a lot to people that uh, on my Instagram and and following is just like, where do you want to see me go? And I've, I've gotten so many cool tracks kind of just thrown out there that I'm like, dude, this would be sick. And so I've had conversations with my partners that are involved in my program. And I'm like, do you guys care? Like, do you want to see me go out of the country? Or could you really care less? Just like Ferris. just Stop! Stop spending so much money out of the country and stay, stay <laughs> local. You know, but they're they're all on board. Like, dude, let's go. Let's 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 go somewhere. So,
0: does, does American Airlines do air freight where you can start uh, getting some points there too?
2: I've heard mixed things about air freight. I, I've gotten a quote for air freight and it was very expensive. It's not cheap. So, is it? yeah, yeah, cheap yeah. So um, I so anyway, I want to go to Canada. Uh, we have that you know grid life kind of rounding up there with Houghton, so I think
0: yeah, uh, yeah CTAC buddies, yeah,
2: yeah, making a Canadian trip would be something that I think is very possible to, to be done this year.
0: Yeah, they got some work um, dates.
1: I, I still say to Adam and any chance I get that grid life needs to do an event at the um, Circuit Villeneuve in in Montreal.
0: Ooh, That's All so, right. so expensive. It'd be so cool. Okay. Or Mount Mount Trimbleau would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there's that a lot was, of cool gorgeous. circuits. In, there's so many cool circuits in Canada. There's uh there's yeah. a really cool one uh in Quebec too that's like literally part of a downtown and they do like super production races and there's so many cool tracks there.
2: Yeah, well that that's definitely on my radar. I talked to Houghton about it um at the end of last year and uh just telling him like, "Hey, you know, I'm, I I want to come. I want to get there. Uh, it's cool that you guys are are partnering up and doing something together." So um you know i want to i want to be involved and i want to i want to go drive over there so that's that's my plan plus the canadians have came down here so many times and like have yeah, taken our track decade. records away from us you know like it's about time an american goes to canada and, and takes away the
1: record <laughs> there needs to be a there needs to be a shirt that's like they're stealing our records stealing our jobs yeah.
2: <laughs> so uh and then lastly uh it's very random but brazil uh, really? I, Interesting. yeah, yeah. I had Brazil reach out to me. They have a couple, uh, big time attack events going on and, um, they're like, we would love for you to come down here. And I met a couple of them at SEMA. They came to, to SEMA and they were chatting me up about it again. And so I think the
1: only circuit I know in Brazil is Interlagos, right? What is, are there, is that it?
2: That's one of them. Uh, their time attack event that they have that's really big is kind of like our Gingerman, you know, like that's their 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 actual track uh, that they run as their home track. So they want me to run that track, but I want to run into Lagos. Uh, so they said we run we run events there all the time. So he's you know, like, "That's not a problem. We'll we'll make sure you get there." So sick. Yeah, but that's if all this happens. I mean, that's a lot. You know, it's a lot to be said in a very short period of time. So I think in the next couple of years, that's kind of like my my plan of where I want to go. So we'll see if we're able to make it all happen.
1: Well, that's rad. Um, We're into the show for about an hour and a half. Um, I, at some point, would like to have you on. Maybe we can talk technical details on a Patreon show. But before we do that, are there partners and supporters that you want to thank? I'm sure there are.
2: Uh huh. I don't even know where to where to start and stop because everyone involved in in my program has been so instrumental to the the amount of success that we've had. Um, you know, for sure, Momo Momo's been in this w- in a big way, and that's kind of what really boosted going out of the country for me and 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 making it actually possible. So you know, Momo Garrett being on board since. Since 2020 in Superlap when we first, you know, well, the second time we won and then we ended up getting the turbos and going twin turbo and then supporting me with really anything I wanted, uh, you know, to test different turbo sizes, uh, wastegates, all, you know, everything. And they, they supported me going to Australia and they supported me going to to japan as well and they're supporting me going back to australia so it's like garrett it's been such a so
0: i I have
1: to point out how silly and absurd your racer math is adam and i recorded a show about racer math a few a few weeks ago uh you had a uh a time attack program that was worth many 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 thousands of dollars in race car parts but because you won a two thousand dollar turbo at a race, you were like, "All right, well, I'm just gonna reconfigure my whole car." This makes <laughs> sense, right? It
2: wasn't a reconfiguration. It literally just slapped two turbos on the side. Like it, it was what it was. But we already at the time, I already knew I was gonna go twin turbo. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a, I had an engine already built. I already knew I wanted to go that direction because I, I kind of just I, in my mind, I knew that I was close to the the end of where this this NA engine could take me. Um, But I had a lot of problems with the NA engines at the time. So I was kind of like, well, if we're going to have these, these type of problems, it might as well be related to boost and and making big power. So, but yeah, that was racer math. Never really computes, (laughs) but
0: that's a bit broken. It's a bit broken. (laughs) uh,
2: um, You know, stable, stable and 303. Not only are they, they supporting partners of grid life, but they've been massively supportive and, and partners of mine. Um, and I can't talk highly enough about, uh, Bob and, and everyone over there. I mean, they, uh, they're just, they're such good people and, you know, the, all the times that we've spent together and the events have gone to, and it's, it's more family oriented. Like it's really, it's so cool. Like I, I'm, I, just, I think it's I, super
0: cool that that's a Chicago based company. And, like, they make all of that stuff right in Chicago. They even make the bottles right in Chicago. Yeah. It's wild. Like, who makes anything here anymore?
2: No. And they even said they'd make some for me. I get my own label and everything on it. So yeah.
0: They, they, like, make, they make, if you go walk into, like, O'Reilly's or AutoZone, like, they make almost all those bottles. And they make half of those chemicals. Yeah. It's it's nuts how much they make it. And it's right up at, like, 63rd and the highway right in Chicago. Wow. Yeah.
2: No, that's crazy. Family oriented, family business. I mean, it's, it's, it's great and great people. It's a cool
0: factory. If, uh, if you ever get the chance to tour it, it's really cool.
2: Yeah. So those guys have been great. I mean, Fuel Labs have been great. Heatwave has been on board for the past two years. And I mean, they've not only have they been like have amazing products and they've been super cool about giving me as many glasses as I want, but they've, they've been supportive. They they sent the crew out to, to superlap and and did a whole documentary on me there and they've been on board for everything that I've done and, and anytime I ask Justin for anything he's always like yeah whatever you need to do, let's go so Justin's really big into grip and he's got a, a couple of Miattas and, and some cars that he's out messing around in and yeah they
0: had the, they had those cars out at uh, Laguna too
2: yeah yeah so just another just group of cool guys IBach, obviously Mark's been great I mean I mean every everybody I mean L LME I can't. There's just, just so many people involved. It's VP uh, Racing, Motec. I mean, it's it's Michelin. I I I can't really.
0: You got to write these things down, bro. Do. Dude, <laughs> you got to be awful. able to recite these things when uh, when somebody sticks a microphone in your face after you win something.
2: Uh, yeah. But in all honesty, I, I can't do what I do without them. I mean, you know, I, I do so much, and I can only my talents can only go so far and without the support of others and even just friends and, and, you know, people online who give me like words of encouragement when I've had a really bad day and I just blew an engine, I'm ripping out of the car to go drive to to LME to replace it before I go to Superlap the next morning. Like it's, it's things like that. And it's times like that, that just humans in general really get, keep me going and, you know, keep me, help motivate me to, to continue down this path. And although at the end of the day, it's something that's really dumb. I'm just trying to be fast, but like it's, it's life to me at the moment. And it's, uh, without, without fellow humans giving us words of encouragement, it's not possible. So
1: sometimes, uh, podcast hosts will message you and be like, Hey, why the hell are you going so slow through that corner?
0: Yeah, Abe's kind yeah. of that yeah, you, should no, ask,
1: you should ask Alex Moss about the time I did that for him. It's uh it it struck a nerve.
0: <laughs> I encouraged Ferris the other day.
2: So. Yeah, no, I mean dude, so so many people do. And you're not the only one that that, that says that, Abe. I get it from Sean all the time too. He's like, stop driving like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was the oh. least
0: nice friend I have. I think it's very straight, straightforward to the mm, point.
1: I don't know about that, Adam. I don't know that I'm not nice. I'm, uh, I don't know that I'm like hostile or uh, mean. No, I, would,
0: I didn't say you're hostile. I just said you're or not, like ill intentioned. <laughs> uh, maybe I just, I'm a straight talker and that's okay. Yeah. Abe's not a sweetie pie, but he's, he's needed. He's very valuable. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so
1: uh, Ferris, when actually I, I think I have, I have Stern talked to you a few times at our events this year or in the last year. So uh, you should know that we have instituted a whole bunch of rules for the new time attack in 2024. You'll um, you'll have to play oh, by the rules. Didn't.
0: Everything's fine. It's the same. <laughs> Just don't go far off uh, and, and lose. Don't because, miss the
1: driver's meeting. Uh, uh, I
0: know our, like, I got, I got an
2: earful from Abe and I, the funniest part about it was he said it would happen right in front of me. And I was like, <laughs> didn't even see anything happening here uh i didn't even know running either abe i
0: didn't run that there's always a problem that abe gets to handle i'm glad i have an abe
1: (laughs) well it's it's not even me always in this case now emma's pretty stern she she doesn't take any crap from anyone
0: well time attack has gotten pretty like the amount of stuff we did in tiny amounts of time because a three-hour fog delay at laguna uh, time Attack was super clean at Laguna. So, like, if we keep wrangling, you idiots, we don't have to clean up all your oil and tow your cars out of the wall. Like, Time Attack goes pretty well.
1: <laughs> time Attack at Laguna was so cool.
0: Oh, so cool. Yeah, and so
1: I don't know what it'll be like in a grip car, especially one that's really fast, but everyone everywhere talks about how amazing the corkscrew is. And for me, I was in Peter's um, uh, MS7, the, the drift car, which is incredible. It is a wonderful
0: machine. It used to be a time attack car, too.
1: I did not care about the corkscrew at all. I thought the corner after was amazing.
0: Yeah. The corkscrew is so slow, it's almost weird. But, mm-hmm. man, that- then the next turn. Jeez. Down so downhill so fast
1: with with the nose of the car pointed at the concrete the passenger is the leading edge of the car going downhill at like plus a hundred oh, it so was cool.
0: gnarly <laughs> yeah the track is
1: nuts
2: dude drifting so cool why didn't anyone tell me how much fun drifting was everyone
0: like, told you that you just didn't
1: listen and now no. you know Swenson
0: doing it too like we got we got all these drifty boys now
2: yes Swenson's getting in a drift. And Swenson was talking crap to me about drifting. He's like, Why are you going to go drifting? You like working on your car every weekend and breaking stuff every time you go driving. And now, since Swenson goes, he's like, I'm going to build
0: a built <laughs> drift car. Yeah, it really almost doesn't seem like a, a decently built drift car, like decently driven. Like, they don't tear stuff up any more than a time attack car. <laughs> yeah, than a high yeah. level time attack car. I was about to say. No, yeah, this can't be any worse. No,
2: I no. rather I rather replace body panels than engines. That's for sure.
0: Well, that they bolt off of a off Corvette too. So yeah. good choice.
2: Yeah, uh, we
0: should well, probably put you to bed. Thanks for so, uh, uh, being on Abe. the show,
1: Ferris. It's been a little while, and we congratulate you on all the success. Yeah, Abe's, oh, it's
2: thanks.
0: it's Eastern time by Abe and Austin, so they gotta go to bed. So.
2: Yeah, no, I just I got home uh, yesterday from Japan, so I'm definitely feeling the time change. That's for sure. Well, I
1: it was, you were not so tired as to not take your kids go-karting as soon as you got home though.
2: Uh, dude, I, I can't be away from them for that long. and like, I, I don't care. It's like, it, no matter what time I get back, I gotta, I gotta hang out with the boys. So did you win? Yeah. What? At go-karts? Yeah. Oh uh, no, we did, we did uh, bumper carts. Oh, it was, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. It was bumper carts. They won't let me race. Against them uh, in go karts because I'm just I don't know they think I'm a liability or something. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> but I try to get in a kid car. I was like, just put me in the same go kart, like let's go. And they're like, no, dude, you can't. I like, goddamn,
1: you're <laughs> an adult. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show, and I hope that uh, even if you're not running at Coda, I hope we see you there.
2: Yeah, for sure. I'll see you guys. Go on. So, cool. Thanks for having me. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pittsitter Grid Live to say hello.